everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Hey everyone and welcome back. Today we have the pleasure of chatting with Alicia Puig, a curator, writer, and founder of PXP Contemporary. Oh my goodness, Alicia, I'm so happy you are here with us today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Victoria. I'm really, really excited to be on your podcast and honored to be a guest. Awesome. I'm super honored as well. I mean, you are doing so much incredible work. I feel really lucky that you know, I had the opportunity to connect with you. And I know that you are going to share so much amazing advice and wisdom for our listeners today. So I wanted to just jump in by dialing it back and asking you a little bit about how, you know, you're a writer, you're a curator, you opened a gallery, you are doing so much. How did it all start for you? I know that you studied, I believe, fine art in undergraduate. So tell me a little bit about your journey and how you got to this point. Absolutely. So I think like a lot of creatives, I was very crafty and artsy from the very beginning. I was always drawing. And when I was a kid, I got those um, like 100 piece art sets as my gift for basically every holiday. (laughs) So, you know, the watercolors, the colored pencils, all of those. And I, I guess my one turning point or first turning point was in high school where I took art as my elective for all four years, and I had an amazing teacher, Mr. Hieronymus, who really took me under his wing and showed me that art was possible as something I could pursue beyond beyond high school, you know, as a career. And that's the first time I started really thinking about it. So fun story, I originally went to school thinking that I would become a graphic designer, but I only lasted in that program for about a year uh, and a half before I decided this isn't quite for me. The calling of fine art really drew me back. And so I transferred to a smaller state school, Kutztown University, where I was focused on painting first. And then I got sucked into printmaking because who doesn't? (laughs) So I ended up double majoring in painting and printmaking. That's where I met Kat, who I'm sure will come along in the story later on. But during that time, I started to kind of think more clearly and and strategically about what I would do after school. And as much as I loved making my own work, I was starting to do internships and take art history courses at the same time. And that piqued my interest in a different way in terms of the business of art and that side. And again, as much as I loved making my own work, I was so interested in, in helping my peers put together their own exhibitions and working in contemporary galleries and seeing what that whole side of the art world was like. And from that, I realized that was more my path. So I eventually went to graduate school for art history, got my master's. And two weeks later, I walked out with a job in a contemporary gallery. And here we are. (laughs) Absolutely. It's really cool to hear a little bit more about your journey and, you know, and how you kind of pivoted from making your own work into the work you're doing now. And I think it's all connected for sure. And I actually think that, you know, as a curator, having a background in making art yourself probably really helps with your eye and your vision and also how you're able to help artists with their careers, because I know that that's a big part of what you do as well. And I think it really changes when you have that experience yourself. 
So true. I mean, I, I can comment on that really quickly. Yeah. I think that is absolutely one reason why I have the re- the relationships that I have with my artists because I truly understand what they're going through as creatives. I've been there. I know how hard it is. And there was a period of several years where I was also actively promoting my own work. I was pitching myself for shows. I was trying to rep- get representation by a gallery, which I did once, but unfortunately that gallery closed. That's another story for another day. But <laughs> I know all of their struggles. I know their pain points because I lived them. So I do like to think that it makes me more relatable as a gallerist and um, it makes for just a different kind of foundation for the relationships that I have with them. Absolutely. I, th- I think it makes a world of difference. And uh, you do such an amazing job, um, you know, not only curating, but assisting artists in building their careers, helping them to get to the next level. There's so many things you've done. I mean, I'm trying to think where to even start. I, maybe we could start with Create Magazine, because I know that that's one of the first big projects, would you say, that you kind of dived into? Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess the story really starts with Kat, like I mentioned. At school, we met because she was running the off-campus gallery at House, and I was running the on-campus gallery, the Student Union Art Gallery. And so we were running in the same circles, and we both realized that we had similar interests in terms of learning about the art world and how it worked and, and being on the administrative side. Of course, she also took the path of being a traditional artist, you know, a painter, uh, and then at the same time, I had this parallel career working in, in contemporary galleries, museums, et cetera. And we really kind of grew together in those first 10 years or so, stayed in touch because we happened to be in the same general local area, Delaware, Philadelphia. And it was good for us because we were able to use each other to commiserate as our own little community as we started to also grow our networks. And I guess one, what we did realize, though, that was we needed a bigger community. We wanted a bigger community because it was hard to find opportunities as emerging artists, as a young curator slash writer. And from that, you know, I really have to give her kudos because she just decided that she wanted to start a magazine to start facilitating that that community that we wish we had. So she started the first magazine, Fresh Paint, um, which I did curate one issue of that. And then she rebranded in 2016 as Create Magazine, and I started writing officially, like join the team. Um, and so I was a freelance writer for her at first, and then in 2018 she brought me officially as the brought me on officially as the director in December, and that was also when I was moving abroad again <laughs> to Costa Rica, which where where I'm based now. And it was, I mean, just a perfect kind of alignment of me moving to this brand new place where I didn't know what I was going to do next and her needing finally someone else to really take on more of the business because she had been running all of it basically herself up until that point. And so I helped to pitch new stores, get us into new stores. I got us our first distributor and I was also working in partnerships. So we started working a lot more with art fairs and we had multiple partnerships with fairs. Uh, I was also continuing to write, but not just for the print magazine, also the blog, building out our blog. And I've also been helping with socials, which I don't think a lot of people necessarily know, but there are the two of us behind the social account. Um, So I've been posting for several years now with Create. So yeah, it's just been a really interesting journey watching that whole community grow into what it has become today. It's huge now. You know, we're over 200,000 followers strong on Instagram. There's tens of thousands on our email list, et cetera. And it's, it's been really, really exciting 
just watching that whole platform grow. And like you said, it, it just came out of this need of, of community. And so that was kind of the first big turning point for us of realizing that 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 was something that other people were lacking. And so that's why she started it and then brought me in to help build it. Amazing. It, it's been really cool to watch the growth and development and to see how you've helped it to grow and expand as well. I mean, I remember following Create, uh, not in the super, super early days, but I would say 2018, 2019 onwards. And I mean, it's grown exponentially even since then. So uh, it's really cool. And I do feel like the best things do come out of, uh, you know, lack. Like there has been such a lack of community in the art world, I think, for a long time. And it's been a very sort of exclusive, hard to break into place. And I think also part of what you're doing is just making it more accessible for emerging artists as well. I know you really are passionate about highlighting the work of emerging artists in particular. Um, A question I have for you, just thinking about what you were telling me before uh, in terms of your experience working in contemporary art galleries, getting your master's in art history, how did that sort of chapter of your life inform the work you're doing now with Create Magazine and all the other endeavors that you have going on? Ooh, good question. I don't know if anyone's ever actually presented to me in that way, but of course it had a major impact. I mean, that was the foundation for what I'm doing today exactly because of the experiences I had. So what do I mean by that? Well, often I was the only person of color. I am very fortunate that most of my experiences were in spaces where I was surrounded by women. So in my art history program, mostly women. And the, the specific galleries that I worked for, I worked for a lot of women. So that was really exciting for me. And I don't I don't know where I would be if that wasn't the case. That's something that I would really have to think about. But I do you know, have to be clear that I was often the only woman of color. And that does make a difference, even if it's not really overt. Like I, I won't say that I experienced over racism or anything like that. But being the only person of color in the room, you feel it, you do, it has an effect. And I think for a long time that, that among other things was part of why I didn't think that I would start my own gallery. There was really a long period of time where I thought that's not for me. I, I knew that I could move up in the ranks. I knew that I could be a director. I knew that I could do sales and do all the things, be a manager, but I didn't think that that CEO role would be for me. And it wasn't until I moved to Amsterdam for a year I worked for two different women galleries and they were just doing things so much differently than I was used to how galleries were being run in the States. Just there's a lot of work-life balance. There was a lot of just these rules that I had in my mind that this is how a gallery needs to be run. They were not doing any of that. (laughs) And that completely shifted my perspective. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity. I mean, people say you need to go live abroad. You need to go study abroad. It changes everything. And for me, it really did. I, it was much later of a sabbatical for me. It was one that I had to figure out how to do in my life because it was not part of school or anything. But again, I'm very, very thankful that I did when was able to because it changed everything. I mean, that charted me on a completely different path. With that new perspective and with a little push from Kat, <laughs> that was when I was finally ready to launch PXP. So um, that yeah, that's I guess that's a little more of the process or the the evolution of my journey. That's super cool. And I remember you mentioning to me, I think in one of our first conversations that we ever had that you had lived in Amsterdam and how impactful that was for you. It, and it's just cool to hear about how 
you have that experience of seeing how things are run in the United States and seeing how things are run o- overseas, uh, it really makes me want to go um, and spend some time abroad because I only know how the New York City galleries <laughs> run and it's very intensive. So mm-hmm. it's a very different world. It's a very different world. It's so interesting. Totally. And but it's really cool also that you started to see like working alongside really amazing and impactful women gallerists, you started to see, you know, this could be me and and I could, um, you know, start my own company, which you did. And I would love to hear more about that. So tell us all the things when it comes to PXP, like when did the idea sort of, when did you get that seed planted in your mind and how, yeah, just dive right in. I'm so curious. Okay. So going back, as you begin to work in galleries, as you start learning how to sell, as you work your way up in the industry, as I was doing in the first five or so years that I was working in galleries, people begin to ask you, it is a natural progression that once you have a certain set of skills, once you have a few years of experience, are you going to start your own space? And again, for a long time, I thought the answer was no, partly because of me (laughs) and also partly because of the environment and several other things, the work-life balance, you know, again, all of these things really played an impact. But another thing was I was never in a location for long enough that I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to, I imagine myself here and having a physical location, which again, I thought you needed to run a gallery. But when I moved abroad, there was one woman I worked for who has had a pop-up model and that completely revolutionized things for me. I realized, oh yeah, I don't need a space. Who says I need a space? That's not a rule. So anyway, like I said, that in addition to a little push from Kat in early 2019 was the, the catalyst that said, okay, you're ready. You can do this. You have the experience. You have the skill set. Now it's just about formalizing, putting the name to it, setting up the account, setting up the website. So she helped me do the initial groundwork. But then from that, she just kind of let me go. And I've since run with it. So now it's been four years and we're a fully online platform. I do now do pop-ups at fairs and I'm potentially also delving into um, some just normal like in-person exhibitions too. And then Yeah, I mean, I work with both what I call represented artists and invited artists. Um, Represented are more long-term. Invited are usually for exhibitions or special collections. I primarily work with women artists. It wasn't by design, but I love it (laughs) because of the stats that we continue to see about representation in galleries. Um, I do strictly work with contemporary emerging artists. That's something that is very important to my mission. I don't work in the secondary market. I've done it. It's just not my thing. I do have the background in art history, so I could, but again, I've done it before. I've worked in auction houses. I've worked in the gallery selling Picassos and all that. It's just not me. So I think I knew that that was going to be my voice as a curator, as a gallerist. I want to work with artists living today who are, this is their passion, this is their job, their career, and that's who I want to support. I always knew that. So I think from the beginning, my mission is kind of has two different pillars. One is supporting the emerging contemporary artists working today, 
making sure that they can continue to do what they love to do and make a sustainable career out of that. Um, I work specifically with art that's priced right now up to 2500 I think I'm going to be bumping that up shortly because we're starting to see collectors feel more confident with us and, and grow with us. So that is on the artist side. And I guess a little bit of background on that. From working in galleries, I realized that there is this huge gap from when artists come out of school to when they get picked up by a gallery. So when you're out of school, it's likely that you're not going to be selling your work yet for 5000 10000 plus. However, on the gallery side, they because they often need to be paying rent to a space, they need to be paying for these large booths that fares all of these expenses, the salaries of their employees, they need to be selling at that level in order to make profits. And so they're not necessarily going to be as excited about taking an artist who sells for 500, 2000. And so it's like that catch 22 where the artist doesn't get the experience they need to work with a bigger gallery, but the gallery also won't take someone on to give them the experience. It, it doesn't make any sense. So I am that intermediary. I'm that platform, that springboard where they come to me first to get that experience, to learn, to build up their prices. And ideally, then they'll move on to that mid-level gallery from after, after working with me. And a few of my artists have, which is great. And I hope that more of them do. We're in the process of building everyone's career. So that's my ultimate goal. And then very quickly, because I know this is getting to be a long-winded answer, but the second half is the collector side. So again, from working in galleries, I realized that there are a lot of people interested in art and they're very intrigued about collecting and making their first investment in art. But the same kind of thing, they get turned off or they get a little bit wary about putting 5,000, 10,000, 15 on a first piece or part of their initial foray into collecting. And so I wanted to be that platform that allows them to learn about collecting, allows them to start to support emerging artists on their way up. And they, they make these initial investments, 500, 2000, a thousand, something that they're a little more comfortable with to start out with. And then they can move on to working with more artists, bigger artists, bigger galleries, higher price points. It's just really cool to hear you talk more about it. I mean, I've been familiar with PXP for, you know, at least two years now, um, but it's it's been really cool to see your platform grow. And I think one of your key strengths is the ac- accessibility piece. Like you're saying, for both artists and collectors, for emerging artists who are intimidated by some of those really big commercial galleries, but they want to get that experience and they want to feel supported. I think that one of the best parts of finding a gallery that um, believes in your vision is the support that they give you if they genuinely believe in your work. And I know that for you, all the artists you work with, you really do believe in their work and you really advocate for them. So there's an accessibility there. You know, artists who work with you don't need to have uh, 10 or 15 years of, you know, experience uh, selling their work. It's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just based on, is it a good fit for you? And, And then if so, I'm sure you move forward with them. But also from the collector side of things, it I hadn't really thought about that, but it makes so much sense. Like people who are first starting to invest in art, grow their collection, they're going to start at a lower price point. And um, you building that trust over time and starting to feel more comfortable to invest a little bit more is, is a process. And so keeping your prices more accessible. I mean, it's a really genius <laughs> idea, uh, you know, what you the, the model that you came up with. Um, I wanted to ask you, how has starting PXP 
impacted you on a personal level? Because I feel like as entrepreneurs, when we start something that is our own, whether it's a magazine or a gallery or just any kind of thing, and we really grow and nurture it, it really profoundly impacts us. <laughs> uh, how has it, like, in what ways has it impacted you since starting PXP? Hmm. Wow. I don't think I've ever been asked this before. What an interesting question. I mean, I think I'm probably going to have to reflect on this beyond this podcast, but what's coming to mind first is actually, I think it's a, a post that I saw recently. I want to say it was from Girls That Invest, the account. It's a financial account that I follow. She's written a book recently and she's like really savvy. I think as of last year, she's officially a millionaire. Um, so one of those really cool I don't want to even say rags to riches story because it's like better than that, but you know what I mean. And she posted something recently that talked about how for women in business, if you look at the the data, even though we are being hired more and we're being included in more spaces, if you really think about the life you want to create for yourself and the flexibility and the opportunity for growth the best way for you to do that is building your own business. And that really hit home with me. It's it's not the reason that I started my business, but my mother asked me all the time, would you ever consider coming back to the States? Of course, she misses me and I miss her too, of course. But I just keep thinking the salary that someone would have to pay me and the days off they would be they would have to give me and the days that i want to just take off because i don't feel well or whatever i don't have to ask anyone like all of these like lifestyle money things cost of living they would have to offer me so much that it it doesn't even make sense like no one would hire me based on what i what i was asking for so just from that perspective it's invaluable to have that freedom now on the flip side, it's a lot of work. <laughs> so we have to acknowledge that. And and I like that I am a part of other a community of entrepreneurs, so we we can commiserate. We know that some days are just not going to be great. And I'm I'm completely transparent about that. I feel like I'm very real about that. Um, but ultimately I love what I do and it's so worth it every day for numerous different reasons, as we've said, not just the flexibility, the freedom, but I love the artists that I work with. I believe in them. I don't bring on someone on my platform if I don't believe in their work. I can't genuinely sell that <laughs> if it's not something I believe in. Um, so I think that alone is, is one of the biggest things I've learned about not just business, but myself. Just I didn't know that I had this in me, so I guess that's kind of part of it. It's been really interesting to watch myself grow and become an entrepreneur. That's not what I set out to do. Um, but I think I'm fitting into it and I like it. <laughs> and it's, it's nice to, to continue to challenge yourself in that way. Um, so I think that's probably the, the best answer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can relate just so much of what you're saying too, in, in the sense that like, I think when we start, um, a company and it could be any kind of company, but when we start something that is uniquely ours and our vision, um, we anticipate that it's going to be a lot of work and we know that hopefully eventually it will grow over time and all of these things. But one thing that I was so taken back and why I wanted to ask you the question is that 
I think we often don't expect how it's going to impact us on a personal level. And um, it's cool to just to know how much it has impacted you. And and I totally agree. Like having a, a work-life balance, even though, oh my goodness, it's so much work to run your own company. <laughs> it's so much work, but also you don't have to ask for permission. Like you're saying, you don't have to ask for permission if you need to take a day off. You don't have to... Um, be underneath someone and constantly be, you know, seeing if you can get a higher salary. It's like this beautiful, it's almost like a paradox where it's like you have this freedom, but you also have to usually work really hard to execute your vision. And so it's this interesting combination, but um, it is such a big thing to do in your life. And I don't think it's for everyone either, you know, not, not. and I totally understand that too. Yeah. bringing my mom back in the conversation. She says that too. Like she, she, we had a conversation the other day and she, so she comes from a background. She got her PhD in chemistry and worked for a chemical company. Like they hired her from 20, you know, 20 something years old. And she worked there until she retired. And so that is her, her network. And so when she meets people and tries to explain what her daughter does, <laughs> she always says that she gets blank stares because it's people with backgrounds in science and business. And they're like, wait, she runs a gallery, but wait, she's also a writer, but wait, she hosts podcasts and huh? She sells art. Wait, huh? <laughs> and so it's, it's interesting um, that we have such a unique experience, but I think it's also our generation too. It's a generational thing. If I never said that I didn't want that. If there was a, you know, an art museum or an art magazine or art, you know, um, company that would hire me at a great salary and get promoted every two years and all of those vacation days and whatever, I would have said yes to that. But that just wasn't a thing. I don't think that exists. So I feel like also out of necessity, I had to do this, whether I really thought this was going to happen or not. Um, so. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's just interesting also the generational differences we find. Oh, 100%. I think it's we are part of a generation now where, um, not to say there weren't amazing entrepreneurs before us, of course there were, but I think I've seen so many more entrepreneurs who are kind of willing to take risks and, and go big, like in our kind of age range. And, you know, it, I think we're like a very forward-thinking generation, and that's part of it too. Um, and, you know, we're identifying the gaps, but we're not just stopping there. We're like identifying where these gaps are and thinking about how we can create a solution. And that's where PXP came in. That's where Create Magazine, that's what both of those platforms were born out of. Um, mm-hmm. A question that I have for you that I think is going to be really helpful for our listeners, because so many of them are amazing artists. Uh, you spoke a little bit about how, um, you know, if... if uh, an artist submits to your platform and it's not the right fit, you're very upfront. You only take on artists who you really believe in. When you review submissions, what are some things that you notice in terms of like areas of growth (laughs) for artists? What advice would you give? I think this is a really important topic for anyone who is actively submitting their work. Oh my, I could have a whole episode (laughs) dedicated to this, but I'll give you the basics. So I'm never going to stop talking about images because I see this. I see this all the time. It's 2023. Come on, guys. You can get great images on your iPhone. Um, so, but what what do I actually mean by that? Well, I used to say crop to the edges. Now, in context is fine, but still make those nice. Make it 
that your work is the focus. If there's a little bit of white space around or if it's a sculpture on a base and there's a background, that's okay. But ultimately, like the art has to be their focus. There can't be stuff going on in the background. And I'm also a stickler about if it is cropped to the edges, there's not like that little sliver. I know I'm, I'm OCD a little <laughs> bit like that, but it's not that hard to double check that. Like, anyway, so that's one images definitely have great images of your work, have the details. If you have them colors, you know, everything looks on point. Then I am a writer, so I, I do read your statements. I read your bios. I read your CVs. I just want, I'm not asking for a novel. I'm not asking for a beautiful Pulitzer Prize winning essay. I'm, a, I'm asking just for something that tells me about your work in a little more detail, something that I might not get from seeing it. I think that's still something our artists struggle with, but not not because they're bad writers, because they're just overthinking what it has to be. It feels like the, the simple thing still. A match, you know, really carefully, carefully considering who you're submitting to and why. I still get a lot of artists that will submit work to me that feels so out of left field based on what I show. And I know that you do want to work with someone that you respect and someone who you think does a good job of what they do. And I appreciate that. I really do. But I do. I still hope that that's not the only reason you're applying because I have a specialty, just like you have a specialty in the work that you create. I have a specialty in what I can sell and what is most likely to sell with my clients. So if you're, if you look at my website and you don't really see work already there that I'm not saying it has to be an exact match. Obviously I'm not going to put just 10 of the same artists up on my site or 15 or 50, whatever. But if it doesn't feel in that realm then that might mean that I'm just not a specialist of it. And if that's the case, why would you want me of all gallerists to be showing your work? It's not going to work on both sides. It has to be a partnership. And and so I think that there's a disconnect there that I still see where it's more about I'm just applying to a gallery versus the gallery. And there's a big difference there. So really try, do your best to look at the full roster of who they show and does your work live in that world does your work fit in that realm because if not it could very easily be that the gallerist is just not specialized in that and it doesn't work and those are really important i mean i'm talking about images too I- like, I think lighting, lighting is so, so, so important. I'm reviewing submissions right now for the Alchemy exhibition for Create Magazine. And that's the biggest thing I have noticed is like photos that are taken uh, and maybe they are cropped nicely and, you know, all of that is looking good, but like the lighting is so off. And I know you mentioned the coloration, like the, there's direct relationship between the colors mm-hmm. of your work and the lighting. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up. And um, I just want to say to like to tail off uh, your point about writing about your work. Um, I, I totally agree. And that I think a lot of artists and I've experienced this myself feel the need to really over overly intellectualize 
um, the artwork that they create, use highly academic language, even if it doesn't feel yes. natural to them. And uh. it's like, just write something that is, <laughs> that is, that feels professional, but is true and authentic and you don't have to overdo it. And I mean, you have a writing background, so, uh, I'm sure, you know, you would agree that just having something that is clear where we can walk away with an understanding about the work is the most important thing. Oh, I'm so glad that you double tapped on that idea because I actually had a, like a discussion with an artist recently who I saw a post from artist A <laughs> and she was, I don't want to say complaining, but she was just feeling annoyed and feeling frustrated about having to write about her work. But the thing was, she clearly had in her mind that she had to write this, as you said, over academic or overly academic over-intellectualized piece of writing to explain, I just want to paint tigers and I just want to paint graphic things. And I just want to paint like, that is fine. I don't mind if that's what you write about. What I want to hear is your voice telling me what it is. I don't need you to tell me that it's, you know, inspired by posts, whatever, what structuralism and the, any of those isms and jargon. No, 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 no. And so artist B reached out to me and said, no, I agree with her. And I was like, no, 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 you're not, you're missing my point. My point is not that there's an issue with her, her writing about it in this. It's like, you just have to write it in your voice. That is what I'm looking for. That's why I say that it's more about artists overthinking what it has to be than an actual issue with the writing. And I remember this part, part two, which was or the final thing that I wanted to mention about submissions, which was I see that artists will show me two different styles of something or three even. And if I'm just getting 10 images, what that actually says to me isn't I have range. It's I don't know what my voice is. You always have to remember that someone who is reviewing your work is more often than not seeing it for the very first time. So unfortunately, that is the first impression that you get. And this is not to say that you cannot work in multiple styles. This is not to say that eventually you can't show these multiple collections with the same gallery. That has happened. I have done this with my own roster. But when you're first pitching someone, if it is for a media outlet, if it is for a gallery, for an exhibition, whatever, stick with one series so that you show what your voice is, what your style is first, and then you could branch out from there. Absolutely. And I think that's such an important one too. It's being cohesive. And I think a lot of what you're saying as well is being really intentional. So being intentional with the galleries and the opportunities you approach and not just blindly applying to anything and everything. And I also just want to add on to that, that I think it's important. It's this balance I have found of like keeping an open mind with where you, the kinds of opportunities you submit to and where you're applying but also being really intentional. Like I think both of those things can exist, um, but being intentional with how you go about, you know, approaching these things, but also being really intentional with the kind of work you're putting forward. And I couldn't agree more with you when you say like most people that see your work are seeing it for the first time. I think it's a really easy thing for artists to forget because they're so in their work and I've, I've experienced this too as an artist. So uh, there's no judgment here. It's just sometimes we're so consumed, we're so in our work that we forget that most people seeing our work have no context. They're seeing it for the first time. So they need to understand it. 
Um, this is actually something I often talk about with artists' websites as well. Like, <laughs> I think a lot of, I've seen a lot of websites in the past uh, created by artists where there, it's almost like there's an assumption you go to the website knowing about the work, but you need to design your website as if the person viewing it has never seen it before and they need to get that immediate understanding. So these are all really great points. And thank you so much for, for talking a little bit about this. And I want to ask you, I did not want to forget uh, to ask you about your work as a writer because you are such an amazing writer. And I know that you do a lot of freelance writing, as you mentioned. Can you tell us a little bit, like, has writing always been a passion for you? Is it something that's developed more over the years? Tell us all the things. Oh, this is a fun story. I actually struggled so much with writing during high school. I mean, I just remember the times where I would come home crying <laughs> from trying to figure out how to finish my assignments. I'd, I really struggled it with it for years and years. And it wasn't until graduate school where suddenly I had to write a master's thesis <laughs> in order to graduate that it was really like lit a fire and do or die. I was fortunate that I had an advisor who helped me through the process, but by help, I mean guides, you know, there was, this was still on me to do it. And she was not shy about the edits, the, the changes and really pushing like, no, this is, this is not it. This is not where it needs to be yet. So thankfully that whole two year experience of being in graduate school, of having to read a lot and write a lot in order to finish it, I, you know, I went through it and I lived, <laughs> I, I lived to tell the tale. So that completely changed me as a writer. I'm very thankful that I had to go through that process, despite how difficult and challenging it was. Um, and I'm just, again, very grateful for all of the professors that I had and also all of the other students when I, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, you hear the phrase, like, if you're not, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I was not <laughs> by any means. And this is not to belittle myself at all. I went from an art school where I felt like a, a big fish in a smaller sea in a, in a number of, in a, a few small ways, just mostly because a lot of the other, and Kat will probably back me up on this. Like both of us were, we were really ambitious, even from that age. Like we were starting to try and put ourselves out there and we were the ones that were running the online or the off-campus and on-campus galleries. So we weren't just there to take our classes and that's it. Like we wanted to take as much out of the opportunities that were there that we could. And so going from that, and again, it was also a smaller school, smaller state school, to in Philadelphia, a city, a bigger art school. And these really impressive students in grad in the graduate program that were coming from other bigger schools and they were coming from art history backgrounds where I was the only one coming from an art background. Again, I was the tiny guppy. <laughs> so from, from that experience, I learned so much just being around these other really amazing women. So anyway, back to the writing journey. Um, I took, a, I guess, a break from writing for a little bit but then I started writing for Create, I want to say in 2016, 2017-ish. Basically, very soon after it was rebranded to Create, I started writing officially. And I really, really enjoyed it. And from there, I set a goal for myself one year that I wanted to double the number of places that I was writing for. So I started writing for Create. And then at the time, 
um, our designer also started a magazine picture and so I started writing for picture and I thought, oh, this is really fun. So let me see if I can double that. And so then I started pitching myself to more and I started writing for two more blogs. And then it just, it was a snowball effect from there just because I really enjoyed it so much. So now though I've scaled it back because it does take a lot of mental effort and, and time, I have become more fluid with my writing, which is nice. So it pays off. <laughs> Just practice your writing. It pays off eventually. It gets easier, I promise. Um, but now I've, I've scaled back. I mostly just write for Create. And uh, I've been writing consistently for All She Makes for a while. Um, but now, yeah, now I, that's what I mainly focus on. I think it's interesting, though, because now I'm also at a turning point. Like, what do I do next with my writing? We have the books, which are really fun. And I absolutely want to do more books. But in terms of the short form writing, I don't know what else I want to do next. There, travel has been calling me just because I do also love traveling. So I, that's been something that's on my mind. Like, do I want to get into travel writing? How does that even look in like tying into what I do? But we'll see. So many, so many options. I think that's so cool and like really inspiring. I just want to say, because I was actually expecting you to say, I don't know. I think because you're such a strong writer, I was just making an assumption that you would say, oh, I've always been writing. It's always been a passion of mine, like making art uh, or curating. (laughs) But actually, that's like really cool to hear. And for anyone out there listening, just know that if you are feeling like you're kind of at a preliminary level with your writing, you can get better. I totally agree, though. I think it's practice, practice, practice. Like, Sometimes when I'm helping artists write their statements or their bios, they'll be like, oh my gosh, you're so quick. You're so fast. And I'm like, I did not used to be. It's doing it over and over and over and over again. And it's like really, I mean, it's like painting. It's like anything. It's just the more you, the more you practice, the better you will get. Um, But super inspiring to hear that it's something that has gotten stronger for you and that actually you've learned to, you know, really love and embrace and um, and I, I also, I don't, I mean, there's so many things I want to ask you, uh, and, but I also want to be mindful of time, but I want a couple more questions I have for you. One of them is tell us about the books because we cannot let you go today without hearing about the amazing books. Um, and then I also just want to hear, you know, what upcoming exciting projects and things you have happening this year, but yeah, tell us about these amazing books that you have authored. Absolutely. They're such a special like thing that Kat and I have done together. So it's an, another one of those things that came out of lack. We had Create going for several years and things were going really well. And at the time, my focus in terms of writing was mainly artist interviews. So features, um, interviews with artists and also sometimes some like roundups from fairs or shows and press releases of gallery exhibitions coming up, those kinds of things. Very traditional. But at some point she said, you know, we're getting a lot of DMs of artists asking us tips about how to sell their work, how to market their work. And I think out of time, it's like saving time for us because we didn't want to just have to keep writing the same DM over and over and over. Let's just make these into blog posts. That way, when we get these questions, we can send them to people and it'll be much easier than trying to answer everyone's questions individually. So I want to say it was 2017 where we wrote, she wrote one and I wrote one. And I remember mine was the do's and don'ts of applying to galleries. That was the first career article that I wrote for Create. And immediately they became some of our most popular posts on the website. And so from there we were like, okay, so yes, this is 
absolutely something that's working. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing this. So I think we wrote, I don't know, I want to say like 10 or so total. And we realized that this is probably something that people would enjoy if we like collated it together to make it easier to find it all. And so we thought like, let's just make it into this little book that people can buy and have as a little guidebook for emerging artists. So we had the same designer from our magazine design us a little cover. We put it together, a few little illustrations in there. It was not meant to be anything fancy. It was like 80 pages, put it up on Amazon and it shot up to the top spot in our category of business of art overnight. And we had no idea that this was going to happen. We had no idea the kind of response we would get for this little book. But in the first few months, I mean, it went wild. It it sold out so many copies. And I mean, it it even got picked up by My Modern Met on a list of best graduation gifts for the art student in your life. I mean, we were floored by the reaction. And so from there, though, we realized, okay, wait, (laughs) this was not ever meant to be that big. Um, And so we did get some criticism of like, hey, but you missed this, or why didn't you talk about this, X, Y, Z? And so we realized, okay, wait, well, again, let's dial this back now because we had no idea what was going to happen with it. So we took it off the market. We originally thought we might try and work with a publisher to expand it. That fell through. So instead, we just took it off for the market expanded it for the next year. So it took a full year to continue to add to it and dive into even more topics that we hadn't covered in the first version. And then in 2020, August of 2020, we launched the fuller version, the 330 plus page that completes Smartest Guide. And I am so proud of that book. I cannot really express it in words. It It's just a project that we went through so much with it from the initial blog post to launching the first edition to trying to work with a publisher that falling through. And so everything that we've gone through and just to have it finally come out. And now it's almost three years later and it is still consistently ranking in our category. So that shows you that people are really, they're enjoying the content. It is good content. I know I can say that. And it's not me being boastful. We really poured everything that we had into it. And it has maintained, like I said, maintained its spot because of the content and two, because people share it. We do not put ads into it, which is I, I, this is also one of the things that makes me really proud about this book, because if you look in the category, the other books that are in the top spot, they are published books. So they have publisher help behind them, or there is another author that's self-published, but I see his ads on Facebook all of the time. I see his ads on Instagram. I see his ads on Facebook. He must be paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to keep that book in that spot. And we are not. So (laughs) again, I'm very, very proud of that because all we have are people who share our book. And when they share it, their community buys it and it just keeps going around and around and around. And that's been going for three years. So I'm again, so proud of this book and how it's taken on a life of its own. But at the same time, we worked really, really hard on it. So from that, because we had such a great response to the, well, I'll combine the two and just call that the first book, even though technically it's two, we we kept thinking, okay, what, what's next? What, what does our community want next? And the first was artists who wanted to be able to market and sell their work on their own. 
yes, if they wanted to work with a gallery that's in there, but for the most part, it's also for an artist who just wants to sell on their own and make sure they can sit on their own two feet. But then what we realized was the next step for people was that now they wanted to build their own business. They wanted to make their own community. They wanted to start a podcast. They wanted to start a magazine, a boutique, a gallery, and um, just something else, something bigger beyond just their own art. And so we pitched the idea of a book on creative business and luckily we got it. (laughs) So we worked with, we've been working with Chronicle Books on the creative business handbook since 2021. (laughs) So that's been another process uh, of almost two years now. And so we're in, we're in like the home stretch though, because the creative business handbook, it is now finally on pre-sale and it officially comes out. We just heard on my birthday. (laughs) So it comes out on May 23rd, which is so serendipitous. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm, I think I'm going to be bouncing off the walls on that day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that is the, the journey of the books. Oh my gosh. It, it's so cool. Like, I, I mean, the smartest guide is full of so many practical tips and valuable strategies and advice. And for any artist listening, it is an absolute must have, so definitely check out the complete smartest guide. And I love the the sort of driving force behind um, the creative business handbook, because I think that's also really valuable. And it sounds like you created both books. You wrote both books in response to thinking about what would be of value to your community, which is amazing. And honestly, the reason why it's being shared so often, I see it being shared on Instagram all the time, like in stories, in posts, um, and artists I work with will mention, oh, I'm reading The Complete Smartest Guide, or I read, like, it, it, it's just coming up all the time. It pops up everywhere. So, and it's for a reason. It's because of how much valuable uh, advice and wisdom you were able to get in there. So I'm super excited for the Creative Business Handbook. I can't wait. Um, and, and so tell us, what else are you working on this year? What other cool projects or events are coming up for you? I mean, I I will just say that is one of the things that I'm most excited about. I mean, this is truly next level (laughs) for us. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm both of us. We're just thrilled to have the opportunity to see it in a store, to to get our physical copies soon. I mean, we just cannot wait for it to be in the hands of artists and creative entrepreneurs all over the world. But yes, I do, of course, have other things going on. Um, Most top of mind is... I am showing at DC in DC with Superfine Art Fair. Um, so that'll be our second year doing this. And I'm still tinkering with my roster. So I don't, I, I can't really give you any sneak peek on that. But I know it will come together and I'm really excited for it. Um, as of right now, I'm thinking of doing another all woman show because that went really, that was really interesting in, in fall. And, and I just really liked that. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Like I said, I haven't put the final details on that, but that's coming up in, um, in April over Easter weekend. So even if you're not in the area, you can still check us out online and see all of the amazing artwork that I'll be exhibiting beyond that. Um, I'm speaking at a, at a conference that's, it's a hybrid conference, virtual and, um, in person that is based in Philadelphia with um, NextFab and Create PHL. It's, it's going to be really exciting. I get to talk about creative business and all this stuff. <laughs> and so 
Um, but that's coming up very, very soon. I'm sure it'll have passed by the time this comes out. So maybe you guys can catch the replays of that. Um, beyond that, just mostly waiting for the book launch, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's huge. That's like a really, really big um, event. And I'm so excited for you, honestly. Like, I can't wait to see the book. I can't wait to order a copy. Um, and, you know, already starting to put together our book club schedule for uh, next year. So that is definitely going to be on there. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll have you as a guest speaker and in the, in the, a guest author in the book club. But I'm so excited for you. And I know how much work you've put, put into both books and you deserve all the success. Um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about Superfine as well. I mean, that's awesome. So it's cool, I think, because you are an online platform, which has so many advantages, you know, to being online, but to balance that out with also having, you know, these opportunities to show the work in person is probably really cool. And our first time meeting was actually at the Affordable Art Fair in New York City last fall. And oh my goodness, your booth was so beautiful and so well curated. I mean, you just have such a great eye and... (laughs) And I know that Superfine will be gorgeous as well. So, thank you. That means a lot. It it was really really fun to just put that booth together and and one well one put it together and see all those artists together because they've never been in conversation like that, you know. But to to get recognized for it, you know, we won that curatorial award, which is just really meaningful and powerful um, to have that validation. So yeah. I'm excited to to get another opportunity to bring more of my artists together and and see how they dialogue and see how people react to it. It's going to be a good time. It's beautiful. I am so excited for all the amazing things that this year is going to bring for you. And um, Alicia, before we wrap up, tell us where can our incredible listeners learn more about you? I'll include everything in the show notes as well. Well, thank you again for having me and thanks everyone for listening. I love to connect online. So on Instagram, very simple. You can find us at PXP Contemporary. Same thing for our website, pxpcontemporary.com. And actually we're basically on all of the social platforms as at PXP Contemporary. So easy to find us. Awesome. Perfect. I'll link it in the show notes. Thank you again, Alicia. And thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.